0: Welcome to Inside the Helix, a podcast presentation from DNA Genetics. Throughout this series, we focus on all things that matter to the pork industry. You'll hear from our award-winning team of geneticists, veterinarians, animal care providers, nutritionists, and other industry-leading experts. We'll explore pig production from genetic improvement all the way to meat quality. Listen along as we take a deep dive Inside the DNA Helix. Today we're gonna spend some time talking about selection for a more robust pig. My guest is Dr. Tom Rathje, Chief Technical Officer with DNA Genetics. Tom, you've spent your whole professional career in swine genetics. You're always looking to solve or alleviate producer problems through genetics. Robustness seems to be one of those key issue areas that many producers are facing. When we're talking about a more robust animal,
1: how do you define or what is a more robust pig? well thanks Curtis I'm glad to be here today but yeah this is a, a great subject to work through and I, I think it's kind of fun to talk about because you know as we look back through time those of us that have been in livestock a long time we all all have this idea of what the ideal pig is or the ideal sow or ideal heifer or whatever whatever species right. that you're involved in and and obviously a lot of those quote-unquote definitions of the ideal change over time but I But I think there's one thing we could all agree on, even though we're all going to have a lot of opinions on what ideal is, is that we really need animals that are are more resilient overall, animals that perform well in whatever environment that we place them into. And, you know, those, those environments include a variety of different things like different levels of management, things like heat stress or stocking density or quality of the air or just how good the barn environment is and even the overall pathogen load. And, and I think when we think of the animals that we want, no matter what phenotype we're after, uh, we definitely want animals that are going to perform well in all these conditions. And, and by definition, I think that's a robust animal. So as we look at
0: robustness, why is improving robustness ultimately so important?
1: So a lot of our improvement programs over the years have really focused on economically important traits as you might expect. So those traits that most impact profitability. Most of those are still important today if not all of them. So for example we need sows that wean more high quality pigs from the same fixed asset or our sow farms and that reduces our overall cost per wean pig. Uh, once we have those pigs wean, we want them to grow quickly to market and use less feed. We've been asked to make pigs that have less back fat and yield more lean meat, and, and improve the lean-to-fat ratio. So those are still important traits today, but mortality really hasn't been something that's been largely emphasized in selection programs. And and you think about why that might be, probably at one point in time, in the not-too-distant past, uh, mortality was relatively low at all phases of production, so it really didn't enter into the thought process. But I, I would say over the last decade, and maybe a bit more, We started to see some significant change in that. And kind of the first thing I saw was that, you know, death loss in general started to increase across the industry. And today we have really good record-keeping systems. And we can see, for example, in the PigChamp database that we went from single-digit cell mortality to an industry that's averaging maybe as high as 15% or more today. The other thing that really struck me is when we look at within these record-keeping systems and they start to compare profitability across different producers, mortality is really a key driver, if not the number one driver of differences in profitability. So it's something that caught the industry's attention and certainly that of genetic suppliers.
0: Yeah, I can imagine.
1: So why has this change then occurred? So the change in death loss, I think probably happened for a lot of reasons. I can't hope to list them all, but there is one that comes to mind and it happens in every customer meeting that I've been involved in, that someone brings up their struggle with their team. Or with, with labor. You know, we used to derive a lot of our staff from our rural areas, people that grew up on farms, they're familiar with agriculture, they were probably involved in high school FFA, and that source of team members really has become very limited today. So we have fewer people that have livestock experience or direct animal husbandry experience. So with a less experienced team, many of those early interventions that we used to take for granted, people that were good stockmen, They're not happening today, and that has a negative effect on things like mortality. So our pig today really has to thrive in that type of environment. It's going to have to do more than what it did in the past.
0: And I imagine that team member turnover can sometimes be a problem as well.
1: Yep, so you've got new team members, you're constantly doing training, and and all of that takes energy and time away from, from raising pigs.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Any other ideas or reasons why death loss may have
1: been increasing over the last few decades? Well, I, I, th- I think there's some other things that one could point to. You know, if we look at animal health and pathogen load in our production systems, our production systems have become larger. We have more animals in the same space than we used to in the past. And in addition to that, a lot of our pathogens, as you know, are continuously evolving. So PERS, for example, is one of those where I really believe we have some strains today that are much more virulent than they were in the past and we've also seen this emergence of what we used to call secondary strains of of different pathogens or secondary pathogens sorry that seem to be causing more issues than we've had in the past so you know we have to evolve our animal health protocols we have to evolve our biosecurity plans and we're trying to do all that with a less experienced team kind of lastly in that area you know, obviously we want to talk a little bit about genetics today too, and I, I do believe there's a genetic component to mortality and cell and longevity. I hope we can touch on that today as well. Just as, you know, there's a genetic influence on these other traits that we've been selecting for for a long time. So one of the challenges we have with mortality is it's generally a trait that's known to have very low heritability. Uh, that makes it uh, hard to produce a really good, strong genetic trend, but there are a variety of indirect ways that we can work in our populations to improve robustness. And, you know, while genetic improvement is a a slow and deliberate process and it's not going to solve every problem we face, we can certainly, as a genetic supplier, make a contribution to uh, improving overall mortality.
0: Tom, this sounds like a challenging problem for the industry for sure, and also a difficult area to tackle from a genetics perspective. I'm curious, Let's talk a bit about the commercial pig.
1: What are you doing to make a more robust market pig? Great question, Curtis. It's, a, it's quite a challenge, um, but I do think we have several areas in our selection program that really deal very directly with improving survival. Uh, one of the first traits that we developed, and it's been over a decade ago now, was focused directly on improving pre-weaning survival. And we know from our own data and from data in the industry that low birth weight pigs have a much higher chance of dying compared to their average weight counterparts. So for example, a pig with a birth weight around three pounds has at least a 95% chance of survival, but pigs in that same litter that are less than two pounds, that quickly drops to only a 50% chance of survival. So when we looked at our own program, the DNA241 is well known in the industry for being the leader in total born. That obviously has a significant advantage for our customers, you can't wean a pig that's not born, but we really wanted to have a sow that was weaning more of the pigs that she's already producing. And and what we learned on birth weight is that birth weight is primarily a trait of the sow. So if you want higher average birth weights, you have to select directly on those sow, or for those sows that can produce bigger pigs. We implemented that over a decade ago. And in that time, we've added a quarter pound of average pig birth weight We've reduced the number of pigs less than two pounds by over 50%. And all that time, we were still seeing a, a steady increase in total born. So essentially, we now see we're weaning more of the pigs we already produce. And we've improved our overall pre-wean, pre-weaning mortality by as much as 4 to 5% with that approach.
0: Dr. Rathje, that seems like really remarkable progress in only about a decade's amount of time. Are there any other traits of the sow that help produce a more robust
1: pig? There are a couple others that we're focused on. So, kind of that, that next step. So, we have this larger pig born that's going to be have a higher level of survival, but that sound needs to raise that pig. So, with higher total born, things like teat count are important because we have to have adequate nursing locations available for every pig that's born. And we've worked consistently to increase the teat count of our lines. To date, we've increased teat count by about one and a half teats since we started, and we'll be at two or more teat improvement from where we started by the end of this year. So quick question for
0: you, Tom, and sorry to interrupt, but there's a lot of people that are talking about teat count, which is great, but I imagine there also needs to be that discussion of functional teat as
1: well. Yeah, that's a good point. So we are improving overall teat count, but functional teats is actually what's in our selection objective. So we are working to increase the truly functional teat count versus just an overall teat count. Another part of that, though, is that we are also selecting sows that improve the growth rate of pigs that they're allowed to nurse. And so in addition to teat count, we're really getting at the biological function of of lactation and and whatever that is that goes into a sow, allowing pigs to grow faster while she's nursing them and, and to improve their overall weaning weight. Uh, we want to include that as well. And that's been very successful for us. So we've we've been able to add a full pound of weaning weight at the same weaning age since we began that selection process as well. So then how does this impact post-weaning performance? So yeah, we want to talk about robustness. So I think this all contributes to that because weaning weight, you know, in that last section is a key factor, of that last topic. So a heavier pig at weaning generally is gonna transition better in the nursery. They're gonna have lower mortality and morbidity. And so if you kind of put all that together from the perspective of a, a pig born to wean, there's a great deal of focus in our program on robustness because we've got these pigs that are heavier at birth, that's reducing pre-weaning mortality, and we have sows that are adding overall weaning weight to the pigs. It's a great foundation for us to transition that pig then into its the grow finish phase. So now that this pig is weaned,
0: what else can be done to further improve robustness.
1: So a key part of our program was adding pre-weaning and grow finish survival to our terminal line selection program. To add this we produced pedigreed and genotype market pigs that were produced directly from line 600 nucleus sires. Uh, These pigs were born into and perform in real world conditions and of course that comes with all the associated health challenges and management challenges and we record mortality on that pig flow. So you can think of this trade as sorting duroc sires by the expected survival of their market pig progeny in real world commercial conditions. And it's a very direct measure of robustness in market pigs. And we've seen over a half a percent improvement in pre wean mortality and a one and a half percent improvement in post-weaning mortality. In other words, survivability has gone up by a half a percent and a percent and a half in those two phases. Another thing that we did in our terminal line is we did change the definition of nursery growth in order to place more emphasis on the early post-weaning period. And when we made that change, that redefinition of the trait nearly doubled the heritability from our prior definition, and that's resulted in a significantly higher genetic trend for nursery growth. So if you put those together, a customer of DNA that's on our full program is enjoying uh, heavier pigs at birth improve pre weaning mortality. Those pigs are being weaned at a heavier weight with lower mortality in both the nursery and, and grow finish sectors. Tom, I'm not a geneticist, but that
0: seems like a very comprehensive look at improving overall mortality and robustness. One thing that you haven't mentioned yet is sow mortality. Are there opportunities
1: in this regard for genetic improvement? Definitely are. Uh, sow mortality, as we know, is an issue in the industry today. And, and we've, we've built an entire program around tackling the genetic component of, of sow mortality. I think our program's unique in the industry because we use extensive data from line 241 crossbred sows, again, performing in, in real-world commercial conditions. So they're health-challenged at times, and, and it allows us to really uh, measure retention in the conditions that our sows are expected to perform in when they go to our our customers' herds. We can't really measure sow retention very well in the nucleus because the nucleus farms are very high health, and we replace those sows at a very high rate because of uh, our genetic improvement program. But if we're in commercial conditions, we can let those sows perform to the extent they can throughout their lifetime, and we get an understanding of all of the calling reasons, including feet and leg soundness, infertility, which we would define as a failure to cycle or failure to remain pregnant, prolapse rates, acute deaths, other common removal reasons. I will say that our goal here also is retention, and that addresses all aspects of sow removals. So we don't want to have the sow make a decision to remove herself from the herd. That would be a uh, an involuntary call. We want to be able to make those calling decisions ourselves. So in other words, I'm saying our program isn't just focused on death loss, but it's on all those factors that influence retention and overall longevity. Fertility actually still remains the number one involuntary call reason for sows. So these traits are, uh, as they develop, are entering our genetic evaluation. Uh, They'll be part of our overall selection index and It's going to allow us to produce a consistent improvement in retention over time. It's never an overnight fix, but I know we can produce a more robust sow and and not give up her other performance advantages.
0: Now, about a minute ago, you mentioned that nasty word of prolapse. Prolapse is unfortunately an issue in the industry that's
1: impacting a lot of producers. Is this currently a problem for the 241? It's a big topic in the industry, it's become a major issue for a lot of producers and I can sit here and say that the 241 is is not a sow line that has a major prolapse issue. We're very fortunate that if you look at our our mortality and prolapse rates, they've already been in a downward trend for quite some time. Uh routinely we'll experience prolapse rates that are in the range of one and a half percent for all removals, sometimes even better than that. And that's a very low rate compared to other lines in the industry that are running as high as 30 percent so you know I believe there's something that's been part of our maternal selection program for some time that's had an effect on this we we do emphasize uterine capacity and with that all the biological functions that come with that emphasis and I, I would say uterine capacity is not the same thing as total born so what I'm talking about here is we're selecting sows that have the ability to produce High numbers of high quality or higher birth weight pigs and and that balanced selection history I believe has to have made some contribution to that lower prolapse rate so very happy to not be in that situation and it's something we'll continue to to monitor it'll be part of our overall program but today we're very fortunate that 241 is is able to make a, a genuine improvement in herds that are struggling with prolapse.
0: Yeah, that's a really nasty and unfortunate issue that many producers are experiencing today. Tom, as we wrap up here, any final comments that you'd like to leave our audience
1: with? So, yeah, maybe just a couple. Um, you know, robustness is is uh, something that we're focused on, and just to kind of reiterate that. It's a very complex set of traits. I hope we've been able to go through some examples today that, that show the different facets of our program that are addressing that issue. I firmly believe that Using crossbred data, leveraging the power of genomics, especially on sows and pigs with phenotypes recorded at, in real world commercial conditions, just create unprecedented opportunities for us to address this area. Many of the tools that we're using now weren't even available to us a decade ago. So it's a great opportunity for us to continue down the path of uh, creating these sows and pigs that are easy to manage, that can cope with and their environment they can do more on their own without the need for specialized management and we'll continue to have a balanced approach to our selection program that improves the performance of the pig and and contributes to the livelihood of our customers
0: very good information thank you very much dr tom Rathge, chief technical officer with dna genetics for discussing what dna genetics is doing to maximize robustness within the swine industry For more content like this, make sure to check out our past episodes of Inside the Helix, which can be downloaded from your favorite podcast provider. Or you can also visit us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or X. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Helix, presented by DNA Genetics. Inside the Helix is released every other Tuesday and is focused on what matters to the swine industry. To catch up on previous episodes, visit us online at dnaswinegenetics.com or find us at your favorite podcast streaming platforms. You can also keep up with DNA Genetics throughout the year by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. For Inside the Helix, I'm Curtis Harms.